Welcome to some very famous people you've never really heard of. Bite-sized biographies of the famous, the infamous, and the quirky in less than an hour. My name is Philip D. Gibbons, and there is more information about me, this podcast, and a bibliography at someveryfamouspeople.com. There are also photographs of most of the artworks mentioned in this podcast at the website. At the conclusion of part one, of this presentation, there will be additional suggestions concerning further information about today's subject, Michelangelo. Now let's get started with our story about Michelangelo. Michelangelo is considered the preeminent artist of the Italian Renaissance while his contemporaries Da Vinci, Raphael, and Titian produced remarkable works of art during the same time period, Michelangelo's ability to excel in a range of artistic disciplines, including painting, sculpture, and architecture, stamp him as the embodiment of the Renaissance man. Although he produced two of his most famous works of sculpture, the Pietà and David, before aged 30, he continued to be productive well into his 80s. Famous enough to have had a biography written about him in his own lifetime, his personality, lifestyle, and reputation are all still a matter of controversy and dispute. Known as Il Divino, the Divine One in life, five centuries after his death, his artistic reputation and body of work are still perceived as uniquely spectacular. Michelangelo Buonarroti Simoni was born on March 6, 1475, in Caprizi, Italy, in Tuscany, about 60 miles east of Florence. A month later, his father moved the family back to the Tuscan capital. Ludvico Buonarroti's family were bankers and moneylenders, and despite the failure of the family bank, Michelangelo's father managed assets and property that allowed an upper-middle-class existence. He occasionally served as a bureaucrat, and at the time of Michelangelo's birth, he was assigned to Caprizi as an administrator within the local government. Michelangelo's mother died when he was six. By age 13, his father reluctantly recognized that his son's future involved some form of artistic endeavor. He was able to secure a position for his 13-year-old son with Domenico Gerlandaio, an early Renaissance master. By the age of 15, Michelangelo was deemed promising enough to be recruited into the household of Lorenzo de' Medici, Il Magnifico, where he began to produce his first works of sculpture. Here he would live and associate with the children of the Medici prince, including Giovanni and Giulio, who would both become Popes Leo X and Clement VII, respectively. Lorenzo's death in 1492 forced Michelangelo to return to his family home. When the Medici were expelled to Bologna in 1494, Michelangelo soon followed, hoping to secure patronage from those already familiar with his work. He was able to procure some modest sculpting commissions before returning to Florence in the winter of 1495. Unfortunately, the city was in the grip of the political turmoil fomented by Girolamo Savonarola, and Michelangelo eventually decided to leave for Rome in 1496. An initial connection with Cardinal Raffaele Riario resulted in a commission for a sculpture of Michelangelo's choosing. The resulting Bacchus did not go over well, 
and Michelangelo was left searching for another patron willing to underwrite his sculpture. Through a friend, Michelangelo was able to finally acquire another commission, this time from a French cardinal, Jean de Belaire, who was interested in a monument for his tomb. This friend contractually promised the cardinal the most beautiful work of marble in Rome, one that no living artist could better. To live up to this promise, in November of 1497, Michelangelo set out for Carrera and the marble quarries there that supplied the legendary stone for the region's most important artworks. In his possession, he had a letter of introduction from the French cardinal to help him procure the most magnificent marble available. Michelangelo's personal visit to Carrera was highly unusual. Most customers merely ordered a certain amount of stone and had it shipped to Rome or Florence. It would take six months before Michelangelo selected an appropriate block of material, and it was not until August of 1498 that Michelangelo began work on his next project, the Pietà, a portrayal of Mary mourning the death of her crucified son, Jesus Christ. This event has been depicted by many artists, but Michelangelo's sculpture is acclaimed as the definitive portrayal of this dramatic moment. He finished the Pietà in less than two years and had it installed in the now-deceased Cardinal's mausoleum. The Pietà is the only work signed by Michelangelo. Legend has it that he overheard spectators attributing it to a rival. He subsequently chiseled the sash across the chest of the Virgin Mary with the Latin phrase, Michelangelo Buonarroti, Florentine, made this. Michelangelo is said to have regretted this moment of immodesty and never signed another one of his creations. Perhaps he no longer needed to. The Pietà was received as a remarkable breakthrough and assured the artist's reputation at the age of 24. The French cardinal would be forgotten quickly, but the Pietà retained acclaim and would be moved several times to achieve greater prominence. In 1749, it was placed in its current location, the first chapel to the right of the entrance to St. Peter's Basilica. Despite the success of the Pietà, Michelangelo decided to return to Florence in the spring of 1501. The specifics are not known, but certainly his father would have encouraged such a move, and the political climate would have quieted greatly after the removal and execution of Savonarola and the installation of a more stable government. Perhaps Michelangelo might have heard rumors that a major commission might soon be awarded concerning an ongoing project of the overseers of the Office of Works of Florence Cathedral, the Operai. This project was a series of Old Testament statues that were to adorn the exterior of the cathedral. A figure of Joshua was sculpted by Donatello in 1410, and another figure of Hercules was added in 1463. The overseers then attempted to commission a sculpture of David, but the project ran into continual obstacles, including the death of Donatello. And by 1500, the massive block of marble intended to be the statue lay unfinished outside of the cathedral workshop. Concerned that the valuable piece of stone would be damaged by continual exposure, the operai decided to commission Michelangelo to finish the project. He began work on September 13, 1501. As the work progressed, one obvious problem presented itself. Initially meant for the roof of the cathedral, the statue, even when finished, would weigh over six tons. It couldn't possibly be successfully lifted off of the ground. 
the statue with obvious symbolic overtones concerning the recent expulsion of the Medici and the establishment of a democracy could be seen as a powerful statement of the determination of the small city-state to repel any incursion by its powerful neighbors. Upon completion in May of 1504, the statue was placed in front of the then Palazzo della Signoria, today's Palazzo Vecchio, with its piercing glare turned in the direction of Rome, as well as the Medici, who were already scheming to retake control of the city, that David initially served a political purpose. The operai would hire Michelangelo to sculpt the Twelve Apostles for the cathedral, but he only partially completed one work, St. Matthew. Unfortunately, Michelangelo also received another commission that he found more inspirational for a fresco painted on the walls of the Palazzo della Signoria entitled The Battle of Cassina. Initially, he was to paint one wall. Leonardo da Vinci was hired to paint the other wall with a fresco entitled The Battle of Angiari. These two works would commemorate two major Florentine military victories. Typically, Michelangelo only completed a cartoon for the painting, a massive drawing as a kind of blueprint for the finished work. But the work was never completed, and although the drawing was copied by other artists, including some of Michelangelo's assistants, it has not survived. Michelangelo was able to complete three different tondi, smaller circular artworks carved from marble or painted on wood panel. Of these three religious-themed works, the most impressive is the Tade Tondo, three feet in diameter, with carvings of the Virgin with the infant Jesus and St. John. Two other tondi were completed for other wealthy patrons, Agnolo Doni, a painting of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and Bartolomeo Pitti, a relief of the Virgin, Jesus, and St. John, similar to the Pietà. The marble tondi were a departure from typical works of the period, which were usually painted or made from plaster. Because Michelangelo lived five centuries ago, much of the anecdotal material about his life came from a biography written by a contemporary, Giorgio Vasari, a Florentine artist in his own right, who compiled the famous Lives of the Most Excellent Painters, Sculptors, and Architects. This account is filled with many either embellished or even possibly apocryphal accounts of events in Michelangelo's life. One of these concerns the delivery of the Doni Tondo to Agnolo Doni. Michelangelo is said to have delivered the finished painting with a note requesting the payment of 70 ducats. Doni, a wealthy but financially astute merchant, sent back 40. A typical artwork of this type would usually cost about 10 ducats, and Doni reasoned that 40 was already a fair price. Michelangelo responded by demanding either 100 ducats or the return of the painting. Since Doni was happy with the work and it was meant to commemorate his marriage, he gave Michelangelo his original asking price of 70 ducats. This time, Michelangelo demanded double the original price, 140 ducats. Supposedly, Doni grudgingly paid up. Such a tale is indicative of the self-image that the artist had developed as no mere tradesman. Whether or not Michelangelo was able to get away with this kind of hardball, one aspect of his career was assured from this point in his life. Although he was always preoccupied with money and would have personal issues that impacted his output, Michelangelo would never have to struggle for work or commissions again. In fact, his reputation spread to the point where rulers of Venice, France, and even Turkey attempted to retain his services. All of these attempts failed. 
However, during this time period, a group of Flemish merchants were able to get Michelangelo's attention and obtain the remarkable Bruges Madonna. They did it by secretly outbidding Pope Julius II. Unlike the Pietà, this statue depicts a younger virgin and infant Jesus. Approximately six feet tall, this ornate statue features much of the same intricate detail of the Pietà. It also achieved the same artistic profile as some of Michelangelo's most coveted and prestigious works. The only Michelangelo sculpture to leave Italy during the artist's lifetime, it was first seized by the French when Bruges was successfully invaded in 1794 and Napoleon decided that he would enjoy its company. It was returned in 1815. The Nazis also stole it in 1944. Luckily, it was not damaged before being retrieved by the Monuments Men from Hitler's stash cave at Alt-Aussi, Austria. In February of 1505, Michelangelo would be summoned to Rome by Pope Julius II. Julius had replaced Alexander VI, a Borgia who epitomized papal corruption. Julius was determined to reinstate papal authority through political negotiation and warfare. He was also a great patron to the arts, and he decided that Michelangelo should begin creating his tomb. Ultimately, what he had in mind was more like the eighth wonder of the world, but Michelangelo accepted what he knew would be an unprecedented commission. As always, Michelangelo began this process by personally journeying to Carrera. He spent six months picking out marble, returned to Florence just long enough to cancel his commission for the Twelve Apostles, and headed back to Rome with great anticipation. He and Julius had already sketched out the basics of the tomb, a monument to egomania that would stand three stories tall with over 40 individual figures, embellishments, and even bronze reliefs. It would take decades. Initially, Michelangelo happily reasoned it might even take forever. Eventually, he would come to regret this optimistic outlook. The relationship between Julius II and Michelangelo has been dramatized as a nasty battle of wills between two egocentric men. In actuality, Michelangelo's issue with the Pope stemmed from the reality that Julius's main focus was to expand the territory of the Papal States and the ensuing warfare that would be required. Michelangelo's artistic projects would always be secondary to this fundamental. By April of 1506, the artist's lack of access and inability to gain Julius's attention was enough to prompt him to return to Florence. Julius was occupied elsewhere, absorbed with subjugating the renegade cities of Perugia and Bologna, quickly vanquishing the first and physically occupying the latter in November of 1506. From there, he sent for Michelangelo, ultimately formally requesting the artist's presence from the Florentine Signoria. Michelangelo had no choice but to comply, reluctantly heading to Bologna. Upon arrival, he was respectful, and the Pope put him in his place by commissioning a bronze statue of Julius to be erected on the facade of Bologna's main cathedral, the Church of San Petronio. Michelangelo initially protested that bronze was not his preferred medium, but Julius was firm. His statue would be a symbolic message to both the people of Bologna and Michelangelo. Despite his unfamiliarity with bronze, Michelangelo quickly built a full-scale model of the monument and prepared for its casting. Between plague, mob rule, and an attempt by the Bentivoglios, the former ruling family to retake the city, the artist wanted to finish his assignment as quickly as possible. 
it would not be until February of 1508 that Michelangelo would finish his bronze and return to Florence. The same angry mob that prowled Bologna in Michelangelo's tenure there destroyed Pope Julius's likeness four years later. 1508 would bring Michelangelo the most challenging assignment of his life. He was paid 500 ducats by Julius to paint the ceiling of the chapel of Pope Sixtus, the Sistine Chapel. He would have to again stop working on the Pope's tomb and devote his attention to the challenging task of painting the large surface, admittedly not the strongest of his talents. Many of the letters of Michelangelo to his brothers and father survive, and he clearly was not happy during this time period. He constantly made financial complaints and worried over both the lack of activity on Julius's tomb and his inexperience with the art of fresco painting that would have to be implemented in the Sistine Chapel. Contrary to some of the dramatic presentations of Hollywood and elsewhere, Michelangelo did not work alone on the chapel. He frequently had as many as a dozen Florentine craftsmen working with him. They mixed plaster and paint pigments, painted minor figures and ornamentation, leaving the major figures to Michelangelo. A letter to a brother during this time period indicates the intensity that Michelangelo brought to this project, his greatest challenge. I am living here in a state of great anxiety and of the greatest physical fatigue. I have no friends of any sort and want none. I haven't the time to even eat as much as I should. So you must not bother me with additional worries, for I could not bear another thing. The chapel was half finished by 1510. Michelangelo traveled to Florence for a break and then returned to Rome to complete his work. His life continued to be predominantly ascetic. Payment from the Pope was erratic, and most of his money was forwarded to his father in Florence, with the intention that it be invested wisely. He returned to work on the ceiling in early 1511, believing that he would only need a year at most to finish the job. Typically, he underestimated not only the time necessary, but the toll this would take on him personally. In another letter, he wrote, I expect to finish by the end of September, if I do not die in the meantime. I'm working as quickly as possible, because it seems like a thousand years since I've been home. I lead a miserable existence. I live wearied by stupendous labors and beset by a thousand anxieties. The Sistine Chapel was unveiled on November 1st, 1512. At that time, a visitor entered a small door into the vast expanse of the vaulted chamber and proceeded in reverse chronological biblical order until reaching the scenes involving creation. In all, there are four large and five smaller rectangular themes presented in what is supposed to be a logical order until we reach the beginning of time. This design has been altered by a change in the entrance, which is now near the frescoes of the Last Judgment. Indeed, Pope Julius was quite happy with the finished work, a transcendental work of art high on the list of the most notable human creations. Thank you for listening to part one of this podcast about Michelangelo. Much of the information for this podcast came from the books Michelangelo by Howard Hibbard and Michelangelo, the Artist, the Man and His Times by William Wallace. 
There are also additional photographs, bibliographical and musical information at someveryfamouspeople.com. If you have enjoyed this presentation, please like us at our Facebook page, Some Very Famous People, and follow us on Twitter at Philip D. Gibbons. Also rate us on iTunes, and if you have the time, leave a brief review. A link is provided at the website.